it's been a minute. Mm. Just kidding, it's been one episode. Guys, I was just telling Allie I was dying <laughs> at Max's episode. <laughs> I know y'all were too. This yeah. Man, the yeah. funniest person ever. I literally like I know how we talk about it all the time. Yeah. It's funny, but yeah. I'm telling you guys. But y'all experienced it. Yeah. It was great. Oh, I enjoyed it. I got a laugh out of it. But if you have no idea what we're talking about, go yeah. listen to our last episode. I titled it to all the boys. I've loved before. That was you. Thank or, you. You said, or, none. or just one, or none. <laughs> I was like, the or none is me. I know. I had to include Hannah in Yeah. It. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> but it was so good. Oh, it was good. Max, Max should be like an honorary guest always. Like, he should be. If you want to chuckle. You know, like what they yeah. do and what we said. They like bring their husbands on. No, I know. Um, they're not as funny that. as Max, but they bring them yeah. on like... Every now and then. Every and now and then them. we can have Max come play us two cents in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was great. Guys, go listen to it. Yeah. What have you been up to? Um, okay, so since I saw you last, I haven't actually seen you in like a week. I know. Um, I registered for my last semester of classes yesterday. Oh my god, that's weird. I know, and I filled out my petition to graduate. <gasps> She's growing up. So weird. Wait, this semester's almost over I already? know, yeah. We only have... The rest of October, which is literally a week, and then November, and then, like, one week of December. So, like, I'm almost done. And then I have my last semester. Oh, I'm so excited. It's going to be great. Um, so I did that. And then what else have I done since I saw you last? Oh, I've had car troubles. Um, long story about my car. But right now, I I'm watched your vlog. driving my mother's car. So, yeah, yeah. Um, go updated. watch my YouTube if you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Um, oh, I also applied for a job at Target. Okay, finally. Because I had to get one. So I went in and I, well, I filled out an application online, went in, asked them, and you know, the whole thing every place tells you is like, um, yeah, go fill it out online and then call us or whatever. So I'm going to call them today and like make sure they got my application because they said they were hiring because they right. need seasonal workers and stuff. But I want to work like past seasonal. But Yeah. I applied to Target, so we'll see how that Aww, goes. Hannah in her red collared shirt and khakis. khakis. Oh my god, stop. <laughs> like Jake from State Farm. I don't even own khakis. Uh, I, don't I haven't worn khakis since elementary school when I had a dress code. I had a, in middle school, I had to wear khakis. Mm. <sighs> Wasn't the move, but I feel like you can wear jeans now. I don't know. I haven't even paid attention Me to what neither. they wear. But that's what's been going on in my life. What about you? Oh, I thought I had COVID. If you couldn't tell mm. from last week's episode, I was so stuffy. And another big reason, so I had to edit out a lot of the episode because I kept sniffling. And Max would be like, blow your damn nose, Ellie. <laughs> I can't blow my nose. Well, I'm that same way when he was like, blow your nose. I don't blow mine either. Okay. You're the first no. person I ever met who doesn't do it either. I, it makes it worse. Yeah. If I blow my nose, it makes it. Wait, 10 times more clogged. Yeah. I don't blow it. And my mom has always told me, don't blow your nose. It makes it worse. Yeah. I so never I just, liked it. Yeah. Yes. I'm that same way. Ugh. And it sounded so gross. I was so congested. But I don't have COVID. I got tested. And that's a great update. I was so scared. She texted me the day after we hung out and was like, where did you get tested? And I was like, oh my god, she th- she has it. She has it. I didn't think I had it, but... COVID symptoms are so similar to all of the respiratory right. and viruses. It's, it's flu season Because it's the respiratory right virus. Or it's like getting to be flu season, right. cold, all that stuff. So I was like, I should get tested like, and be responsible. So I did. It's not as bad as people make it out to no, be. No, it's not. 
Yeah, the pharmacist talked me through it. They were Everyone was like, it's such a long Q-tip and it goes so far up your nose. It literally didn't feel like it went that far. Like, it went up to a point, yeah. my eyes started watering. Yeah. And then you just swirl it, swirl it for 15 yeah. seconds and then it's done. See, my, okay, I didn't tell you, I went and got tested too on yesterday. I went and got tested just to be sure because I started getting a stuffy <laughs> nose. Like, last night, worst allergy attack of my life. I was up in the middle of the night. I think I was sneezing like 20 times. Like, I really think you gave me this cold if it was a cold. Yeah, I um, think it was a cold. I definitely think you gave it to me because my nose has been like on fire the past, like, since I saw you last, which has been like five, six days. Mm-hmm. And, well, probably a week now since I saw you. But, I was so nervous. I was like, my nose, like my throat is feeling a little weird. Like, so I got tested and everything and it was negative. But I've gotten tested three times now. The first time Mm -hmm. it was a breeze. Second time hurt really bad because the lady like shoved it up there and kept it up there for like 15 seconds. But yesterday the lady was like, one, two, three, one, two, three, and both nostrils. And then she was like, all right. And then I waited 25 minutes and it was negative. Oh, I had to wait a couple days. I think I waited probably like 48 hours. Yeah. Um, and those two days that I stayed at home were absolutely awful. The first day, you know, when you, like, do nothing, you're like, oh, this is Love nice. It, yeah. Second day, you're like, all right, this is kind of, I'm kind of bored. Yeah. And then the third day, I literally was so productive. I got so much shit done. It was great. I was like, Good. oh, my God, I can never quarantine. I can never get yeah. the virus. I cannot quarantine. I know. I'll die. But then I was like, you know, this could be a good video. Yeah, I got that too, and I was like, oh, God, I got I COVID. Know, YouTube will like that. Yeah. No. Anyways, we are COVID-free. We are we a are, little bit yeah. stuffy. If you keep hearing the glass, it's Allie's um, so cup. Oh, are they drinking. so cute? She's drinking out. It is cute. She's drinking out of this glass cup with a glass straw. Yep. I'm so proud. It's so, like, aesthetically pleasing. What even is that, Celsius? Yeah. No, it's my protein. Oh. It's cute, though. <laughs> Thanks. I got these cups off Amazon. And then the straws are off Amazon, too. And I just love it so much. Cute. Thanks. Yeah, it's a glass straw. Yeah. <laughs> a Cheers. Toast. A toast to this episode. Ooh, okay, I'm excited. We have to get into it because it's going to be low-key long. Mm-hmm. But, guys, when this episode comes out, it'll be like a few days before Halloween, right? It's like the week of Halloween, I think. I think it's the week. Yeah, it's the Monday before Halloween. Okay. So, yeah. this is our last episode of October. Oh, wait. That's so weird. I know. is crazy? Wow. Yeah. Last episode of October, guys, and we wanted to make it a spooky one. Of course. We are turning into a true crime podcast for this episode. Crime junkie wannabes over here. Yeah, no, but actually, like, I'm obsessed with true crime and crime junkie. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I ever listened to it was with you. Mm-hmm. On our way back from the beach. Oh, that was such a it good It was so episode. good. We were like, oh my gosh, let's just, we listened yeah. to it the whole way back. It yeah, was we great. Um, so, we are going to talk spooky, scary um, kind of disturbing murders, mysteries, yeah. not really mysteries, murders today. Yeah, we are. So Ooh. the title of this episode is going to be My Favorite Murder, and Hannah's going to tell a really interesting murder, and then I'm going to be talking about a serial killer, which Ooh. I find serial killers so fascinating. Me too. Like, so Me fascinating. Too. Um, and mine has an ending, which 
one thing I don't like about Crime Junkie podcast is some don't come into anything. And I'm like, it's like, what happened? Yeah. Which I know they can't help, but like. Right. <laughs> um, no, yeah, mine has an ending too. But I was telling Allie yesterday, I was like, mine's like sad. Mine's not really spooky. Mine's not a serial killer. It's just a murder that's kind of happened recently, like in the past two years. Um, it's kind of sad, but I mean, I thought it was interesting, the clues and stuff, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard about it now because of, um, there's a documentary about it on Netflix, but yeah, we'll get into that. Do you want to go first? Yeah, because yours is like spookier. Okay. So mine is the Watts family murder. So it's about Chris Watts and his wife and two kids. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, it was pretty recent. It took place in the summer of 2018, and it came to a close November 2018. Um, this all took place in Frederick, Colorado, which is where the Watts family lived. And from the outside, you know, they looked like a loving, normal family. They really looked like they had it all, the American dream. It was Chris, the dad, and then the mom, Shanann, and then their two girls, four-year-old Bella, and three-year-old Celeste. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris worked in the oil industry. Shanann worked in a multi-level marketing company. She was very active on social media, um, and their lives looked good to everyone else because of her presence on social media. They had a beautiful home, good careers, beautiful children. They really just looked like the perfect family. They looked like they were living it all. I mean, they, they really they were, did. They were doing pretty good. I mean, yeah, if you look at their family, too, I mean, they're beautiful. Yeah. Well, did you watch this documentary? I didn't, no. So, she posts, she would, it was weird. It's, like, very, in my opinion, a very mom thing to do is, like, she would post everything, yeah. like, videos on yes, Facebook. and live. Like, she would go live on yeah. Facebook constantly posting so many videos. Like, her presence on social media was very, very prominent. Yeah. Like, she was always on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And it was, to me, it was almost like she was trying really hard for people to believe yeah. her family the perfect. Was picture yeah yes like she would post things about Chris being such a good dad and like all of like all these videos that really did make it look like they had the life Mm -hmm. like going for them and wanted to show everyone yeah um so background of Chris and Shanann they met on Facebook um sorry that's my ice I was like what is that uh they met on Facebook Chris sent her a friend request in 2010 and she said in a Facebook video that was later released that one thing led to another eight years later we have two kids live in Colorado and he's the best thing that's ever happened to me So, in November of 2012, two years after they met, they got married, and in December of 2013, they had their first child, Bella, and then a few years later, in 2015, their second daughter, Celeste, whose nickname Cece, was born. So, a month before Celeste was born, in 2015, the Watts filed for bankruptcy. They had a combined income of $90,000 in 2014 and stated that their $3,000 mortgage and $600 car payments took up most of their uh, $4,900 in monthly expenses. So they filed for bankruptcy. They're kind of struggling a little bit there. And then fast forward a few years later, in 2018, Shanann posted a video surprising Chris with the news that she was pregnant with their third child. He also didn't seem like super thrilled. No, his reaction literally, he was like, that's awesome. Yeah, and what she did was really cute. She like had a little onesie. mm -hmm. And and it showed like, oops, Mm -hmm. we did it again. Yeah. And it was really cute. But he kind of, like, in the video, you can look all of these videos up, too. They're all yeah. online. He says, like, oh, that's awesome. Like, I guess it happens when you yeah. really want it or something like that. And Yeah, it was weird. He he just didn't seem as excited as, you know, most 
parents that want a kid or want to get pregnant are. Like, she seemed more excited than him for surprising him. So, um... Yeah, he he kind of was just like that's op- that's awesome, whatever. And she posted on Facebook, like she posts everything on Facebook. Literally, y'all, we're not being dramatic. No, she posted yeah, everything. everything. Um, so after issues with bankruptcy and things like that, their marriage really only started to become worse, and they began to drift. He wasn't said to be abusive or violent, but he really just started to become super distant um, from Shanann and kind of from the family. Shanann and the girls left for a trip to North Carolina, and they were there for a while. I think it was like six weeks they were there. Mm -hmm. Um, And Chris was to join them later. So Chris joined them later. So he stayed back. Shanann and the girls went to North Carolina, which is where Shanann is from. Mm -hmm. Shanann started seeing more signs of trouble with Chris, describing him being back in Colorado living the bachelor life is what she said to him. She mentioned Chris. Um, she mentioned to Chris in a text message that she felt as though he doesn't miss or love her anymore, and she felt as though she was the only one caring for the girls and trying to make things work. So they return back home after their Colorado trip, but before that, Chris joins them later um, on the trip for a little while before they return back home. They return back home, um, and Shanann sends a message to a friend the night before. Um, saying that Chris mentioned he was scared to death to have another child and that he was already happy with the two that they had. Mm. So the messages, I have a screenshot of the messages that she sent to a friend, and she texted her friend and said, Chris told me last night he's scared to death about this third baby. He's happy, And he's happy with just Bella and Celeste and doesn't want another baby. And then the friend texted back, he's just scared. Everything will be fun once the baby comes. And then she said, Addie, he has changed. I don't know who he is. And then she, the friend said, what do you mean? And she said, he hasn't touched me all week, kissed me, talked to me, except for when I'm trying to figure out what is wrong. So he started, I mean, she noticed signs. He was acting kind of weird, um, telling most of her friends that, that he's just not the same Chris. So a few days later, Shanann had an ultrasound that Chris actually went with her to. And he didn't go to a lot of her appointments. He mm-hmm. didn't. Go to many of the ultrasounds. He didn't really care much about this child. I mean, it was quite obvious that he didn't want it. And so he went to this ultrasound with her, but she said he was very cold the whole time. So in another message she sent to a friend, um, she said that I grabbed his hand during the ultrasound and he didn't grab it back. I cringed. He rejected sex the night we arrived here. Only thing I can think of, even though I don't think he has it in him to have another girl. Um, he's refused to hold me, said he's not there and that he can't. And her just basically explaining how she's like confused as to what's going on with Chris and how he's being so distant. Um, so, okay, pause. Yeah. So back to the first text message when she's talking to her friend when they got back from the trip, Mm -hmm. it makes it seem like he had cheated prior Right. Her friend brought up a few things to her about an affair, possibly Chris being in an affair. Yeah. If he's, you know, cheating on her. And Shanann kind of was like, she thought about it for a minute and she kind of dismissed that and was like, well, no, I don't think he's cheating on me. Like, she was iffy, but the friend brought up the um, thought about him possibly cheating Mm -hmm. or having an affair. Gotcha. But that'll come in later to play. So... (laughs) 
On August 9th, um, this is a few days after the ultrasound, Shanann had left for a business trip to Arizona. And on the way there, she sent a message to a friend saying that her and Chris had the best talk yet the night before. And she even wrote him a letter. Oh, yeah. The letter from the documentary was really sweet. Yeah. And um, you can look up all these pictures, too. But she wrote him a letter, and they had a great talk, apparently, before mm -hmm. she left. She was going on this trip for, like, like three days, I think. Yeah. It wasn't too long that she'd be gone. But while she was gone, Chris obviously was going to watch the girls. And she previously had suspicions of him cheating on her, which I said, and mentioned in a text message that she confronted Chris about it. So she kept an eye on her bank records um, because she just wanted to, you know, she was worried about this whole situation and the affair that he could possibly be having. So she kept an eye on the bank records, and she was surprised to see that while she was gone, there was a $62 dinner charge at a place called Lazy Dog Bar and Grill on Saturday night. Um, when she asked Chris about it, he said he left the girls with a sitter and went to a Colorado Rockies game with some friends, and then they all went out for dinner, and he got a salmon and beer, and that's why it was so expensive. But she still didn't believe it, and she called him out, basically telling him it didn't make any sense. Um, yeah. And so, fast forward, August 13th, around 2 a.m., Shanann returns home from her work trip. A friend picked her up and dropped her off at home and that was the last time anyone would ever see Shanann alive again. So the next morning, uh, after she arrived home from her business trip, the next morning, Chris treated it as though it was another day. He went to work. He acted normal at work. You know, there were no signs of alarm to anyone at all. It was another day of Chris and everyone else around him. Mm -hmm. um, as we know, Chris wasn't very interested in the pregnancy. So, this would lead him to having no clue that Shanann actually had an ultrasound that morning. And when she didn't show up to the ultrasound, it would, of yeah. course, show signs of alert to her friends. Right. And the people that didn't know why she didn't show up. So, the friend who dropped off Shanann the night before was really concerned when Shanann wasn't answering any of her text messages. She didn't show up to her appointment, and then she was even more concerned when Shanann missed a business meeting that day. So that afternoon, Nicole, which is the friend that took her home from her trip, went to her house and knocked on the door to see if she was there, but there wasn't an answer, and the house was just silent, which she automatically thought, this is weird. I mean, if yeah. anything, if the girls were home, like, she would hear some sort of commotion or something with the girls home, or was Shanann there? Like, why isn't she answering? She just saw her the night before. Like, what's going on? Yeah. So um, Nicole immediately calls Chris and the police department. Chris arrived not long after the police arrived, and he gave him the permission to search their home, which was empty of Shanann and the girls. Left behind at the house was Shanann's purse, her phone, her keys, and her car with the car seats in it. So this sort of struck up, well, where would she go if everything of hers is here? Chris said that it was all strange since he said Shanann's plans was to take the girls on a play date that day. So something else she... Um she left Chris like in the documentary comes out because the police um you know they have like a camera on them so mm -hmm. they were recording them like searching the house Chris yeah. like walks out of the bedroom so dramatically with the ring with her wedding ring and it's like she left this like implying she left mm -hmm. him okay so. yes Chris wasn't sure 
Chris wasn't sure if she left or, right. well, Chris wasn't sure. I'm saying that in quotes. He's telling the police all this story of he doesn't know where the girls would have gone and he just wants them home, blah, blah, blah. So yeah. he was clueless, clueless, acting clueless to the police. So when the police searched the home, they, were, they weren't most concerned about what was there, but they were most concerned about what was missing. Mm-hmm. The bed sheets on the bed had been completely stripped and some of the sheets were found in their trash. Hmm. So, they were a little suspicious about that. Also, in the... Sorry, I keep interrupting. Um, in the documentary, so their next-door neighbor has video recordings, like, outside of his yeah, home. Yeah, I'm getting there. Oh. About the truck and... Oh, no. So, they went to the neighbor's house to, like, look at the recordings. Right. And they said... Or, what you could tell is, like, Chris was acting super weird, and then he, like, leaves the house before the cop does, because the cop wants to talk to the neighbor... And the neighbor's like, he's acting so weird. Like, he's usually not this talkative. He's so, like, mm. standoffish usually. Like, he's not acting like himself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't mention that. But, yeah, the neighbors had cameras that you could see, like, the driveway of Chris and Shanann's house. Um, so there's a surveillance of Shanann returning home from her trip. And then yeah. um, you can sort of see from there the house and everything. So I didn't know that they went to the neighbors and asked. I didn't watch the documentary, but... You should. It's so good. Um, I know. I should ever since, since I'm doing this, too. But anyways, <laughs> so the next day, the Colorado Bureau of Investigation joins the case, mm-hmm. which is the same day Chris got in front of the local news cameras and pleaded for her, for his family's safe return. Yeah. In this interview, Chris acts worried and as if he has no clue what's happening, just like everyone else. He mentioned that he saw Shanann briefly the night she got home, but since it was in the middle of the night, he said they just went to bed. Um, This is a long interview you can watch. He is acting sort of closed off almost. I mean, his arms across the whole time, and he's just, like, pleading for their safe return, has no clue what's going on. The interviewer asks him a question about, you know, people are going to think you did something or you have something to do with this, and he was like, well, people can say what they want. You know, I don't. I just hope that they get home safely wherever they are. Like, I just miss them so much. And Mm -hmm. literally acting like a desperate father, so putting on this whole thing. Um... And police noticed that in the early hours of Shanann arriving home, Chris could be seen on the video system backing in his truck into the garage. And it sat there for a while while he got out, and then he returned to his truck a few minutes later. Um, So the police wanted to know where he went that night, so they used the GPS on the truck to retake the path that Chris took that morning, and it took them to Chris's work site. Now... It was a site that was owned by a petroleum company where Chris was a field coordinator. They And the police weren't super surprised as to it was going to his workplace. They were like, okay, I mean. He said he went to work. He was going to work, yeah. yeah. So they weren't super shocked that they ended up at his work site. But they searched the site still by foot, by air, and by drone. And with those drones they spot the bed sheet that matched the set that was found in the Watts home in the trash. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So after finding this, they bring Chris into questioning. 
And while they do this, a woman comes into the police saying that she was Chris Watts' girlfriend. Slap my knee and call I don't know. <laughs> Chuck. So her name was Nicole Kessinger. And she came to the police and told them that she had been a co-worker of Chris and that they had been dating all summer. Um, she said that Chris told her about his family, but that he said they were separated and that he was living in the basement until him and Shanann got a divorce. I find that very hard to believe. Yeah. Also, this Nicole girl, like, later after the news broke that he was the one that did it, yeah. um, that she said in, like, an interview, oh, I barely knew, we were only dating for, like, a little bit. Like, you know, I, I didn't really know much about him and all of this stuff. And like, There are had no pictures of them, like, on trips. Yes. They went on hiking trips. He wrote her, like, letters saying, yeah. you're my one and only. Like, I want to love you forever. Like, all of this crazy stuff. There's a conspiracy theory that she was involved well, there's been murders like this before, and like where there's the mistress and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the name of the murder, but she was looking up this same, like a murder that was very similar to this about the mistress and like Nicole was? the husband. Yes, she had been found. Police looked on her phone history, and she had been found searching up the name of like the lady. Um, the, oh, I really wish I remembered the murder. She had been found searching up the name of it. She had been found literally for like two hours looking up wedding dresses she had a search that was like um marrying your like or marrying the mistress the or whatever like all of these weird searches on her phone she had about like being a mistress and being in an affair and like all of the family and like all of this crazy weird stuff (sighs) um and so back at the work site where they found the bed sheet police kept searching and it didn't take long for them to find exactly what they were looking for. Shanann, Bella, and Cece. Bella and Cece were dumped in oil tanks. Ugh, I should have done a disclaimer. This is kind of ugh, sad. They were dumped mm-hmm. into oil tanks and their bodies were placed on this hatch that was only eight inches in diameter. So Bella actually had scratches all over her body from being shoved into the hatch. And she actually had pieces of hair that had been ripped out from her head as she was being shoved in there. Mm-hmm. And... Then Shanann was found a little further away, buried in a really shallow grave. And later it came, Shanann had been strangled with almost no signs of a struggle. Hmm. Which I think, that's a little weird. Like, she must have, she had to have been, like, asleep or something or unconscious. Because it takes, I don't know how long, I, I like, listen to it, how it takes, how long it takes to do a manual, like, strangulation. It mm-hmm. takes, like, a little while for them to actually like, die, um, mm-hmm. or become unconscious, and th- I just find it hard to believe that she didn't fight, so he had to have done it when she was asleep, or knocked her unconscious or something. Yeah. Um, I think that's just weird. So, anyways, continuing, the girls had been smothered by this killer's bare hands, and Cece looked like she didn't fight at all, but Bella had signs that she tried to fight for her life. That is so sad. So sad. Like, is, they're eight and three? They're four and three. Four and two. Oh my god, that's so much worse. Um, Bella's four, and then two years later, a few years later, they had Celeste. Okay. I don't know, four and that. But, yeah, the saddest part is, too, is, like, 
that's your dad. Like, there had been videos on Facebook of, like, Bella saying, my dad is my hero, like, singing this song about her dad on Father's Day that was, like, my dad is my hero. Like, I love him so much. Like, this is the man that they're supposed to feel safest with Mm -hmm. and, like, like, look up to as, like, their hero and this person and, like, how you can literally just look at these little girls that are, like, your children. Yeah. And smother them and, like, kill them. I don't. People it was sick. It really did like shake me up because yeah. I had the same thought. Is like you don't ever imagine like your someone who's parents. supposed to love you unconditionally yeah. to end your life, right? Especially when you're that young, you're so pure and like innocent. innocent. Mm-hmm. You don't think anyone's bad. Yeah, you know, like yet alone your parents. Like you don't think that. So that really oh got me when I read that about the younger ones, but. The police obviously had no question of who did this. Yeah, and if you watch the documentary, like, I, from the beginning, was like, this is sketchy. Because if you, like, go with a story, like, you're at home and yet your family gets killed but you survive. Right. And you're a dude. Like, that makes no sense. You would, I know. If you were protecting your family, like, you would have strip signs of struggle. Like I know. It's weird. Exactly. So, um, yeah, they had no question. So at 11.02 that night. Chris was arrested on suspicion of murdering his family. After he was arrested, he asked to speak with his dad. And he said that only after speaking with his dad that he would tell the truth. So, of course, the police allowed this and they recorded the entire thing. You can listen to the recording. It's kind of hard to understand. Um, but what he said was just disgusting. The story he told his dad was that she got home that night and he told her that he wanted to separate and that she was very upset. He said he went to the basement for a moment, and when he came back, he saw on the baby monitor that in one of the rooms, his daughter was laying on the bed, and she had started turning blue. And when he got to the next room, he saw Shanann smothering their other daughter. This was his story he told his dad. He said by the time he got to the room, his daughter was dead, and he freaked out, and he killed Shanann. Killed one. Right. This, this was the story he tells his dad. So, Chris stuck to the story for a while. Until around November, to avoid the death penalty, he pleaded guilty to killing them all, including their unborn son. Um, According to Chris, Bella, which was the oldest daughter, walked into the room after hearing the fighting and she asked, what's wrong with mommy? And then she watched as he wrapped Shanann up in the bed sheet. Mm Of course, he sits in prison now. He's given five life sentences. There is a Netflix documentary over this. That Allie was talking a little bit about. I haven't watched, but it's called American Murder, The Family Next Door. Um, And there's a lot more details that go in to killing the family and killing the girls and stuff. I didn't want to get too grotesque in that. But it's just a sad story. Yeah. And it's disgusting. Women are sending him in jail, like, love letters. That's what they did with Ted Bundy, too. I know. They're sending this man, like, love letters saying, I'll wait for you. I want to get to know you. Like, all of this stuff. I'm like, he killed his children. Yeah. And his wife, who was pregnant. Yeah. For what? Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't, how could you, like, how could you do that? I, what really disturbed me, like, obviously I'm not a parent, so I don't know how... You know, the love dynamic is when you're a parent versus when you're a kid. But to me, 
when he confesses to his dad, which honestly, I think he's an idiot for doing this in the yeah. police station. Like, they're not going to record you. Like, come on, bro. I know. And his dad comforts him. Yeah. If I were his dad. Yes. His parents were the only ones that yeah. believed him. I would have been like, you are disgusting. Yeah. You don't exist to me yeah. anymore. Like, if you're capable of killing the people you're supposed to love the most. And even, like, the fact that he would, like, he didn't stick with the story of, like, some whole other story that was, like, that someone else killed them all. Like, he still admitted to killing Shanann. Yeah. To, and pr- to protect his daughters was his story. But it's, like, you still killed someone with your bare, like, hands. Yeah. If you were my child... Oh my god! I like again, like you said, I don't know the parent thing, and like yeah, but no, f that. And How? apparently, so according to his story, who is dead? Bella. Shanann. So according to his story, Bella killed or Shanann killed Bella, and yes. then on the way to dump the bodies, he took Cece with him and killed Cece in the car. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Bella watched as he wrapped up. Yeah, and apparently on to the car, when they were in the car, like, she was like, Daddy, where are we going? Like, what's wrong with Bella? um, are you going to do, she, I saw something where Cece asked, are you going to do the same thing to me that you did to Bella? Yeah. It's awful. (sighs) He's an awful, disgusting human being. I hope he rots, like. He should. I don't believe in the death penalty. I think it's too easy for people, unless. It is. It's an easy getaway. Yeah, but he has five life sentences, so Jude's going to die there either way. Ugh. So I hope he suffers a long, long life in there. I'm sorry, but some people just deserve it. He deserves it. Disgusting. I know that was kind of sad, not very scary, but... No. I find it interesting, and I need to go watch the documentary. You should. It's really good. It's not that long either. It's like an hour-ish. Okay. It's good. Okay. I'm getting into my story. So mine is about the co-ed killer, also known as Eddie Kemper. Um, so a little backstory about Mr. Ed. Um, in 1972, college girls from Santa Cruz turned up missing and no one suspected dear old Ed. <laughs> so Kemper was born on December 18th, 1948 in Burbank, California. In 1957, Ed's parents divorced, and he proceeded to move with his mom and his two sisters to Montana. Um, If you guys remember or listened to our family episode, your relationship with your mom has a monumental impact on who you are today as an adult, right? Mm -hmm. And as you can imagine, Ed did not have a good relationship with his mom. Um, She turned an alcoholic and eventually... Became a mom who blamed every issue or problem she had in her life on Ed. And when he was only 10, his mom banished Ed to live in a basement of their home away from his sisters in total isolation. Awful. Awful mom. Like, come on. Disgusting. So, so in my opinion, I think because of how he grew up, he turned to, like, dark impulses. For example, um, around the age of 10, when he was, you know, banished to a basement, um... He would have dreams of killing his mom. He would cut off the heads of his sister's dolls. Um, Yeah, it was really disturbing. And when he was 13 years old, his mom decided to send him off to his grandparents' house in North Fork, California. Huge mistake. Mm. 
So Ed hated living with his grandparents. And on time before this, he did end up moving in with his dad for a brief period of time, but then eventually came back to his mom, and then his mom sent him to his grandparents. So by the time he moved in with them, he had already gotten a hold of firearms, um, and he would kill small animals and birds with the rifle. And that's like the first Mm -hmm. sign that people look at for, um, uh, what are they? Sociopaths. Like, killing animals is the first sign. Yeah, no. If that was my kid, I would send him to a psych facility ASAP Rocky. Yeah. (laughs) Ooh. Kidding. Sort of. Um... So while he was living with his grandparents, obviously his da- his granddad took away the privilege for him to use firearms as any, you know, rational adult would. Yeah. Um, and when Ed was 15, he found a gun once again and acted out. So in August of 1964, Ed shot his grandmother after an argument they had. And after hearing his grandpa come back, Ed shot him too and hid the bodies. After the murders, Ed called his mom and told her he shot his grandmother to see what it felt like. Ew. And shot his grandpa because he didn't want him to know he just killed his grandmother. So he had no idea that she was dead. (gasps) Yeah. Oh, gosh. I thought he saw it and then he, like, shot him. No. Shortly after this, Ed was sent to a maximum security facility for mentally ill convicts. And he was eventually diagnosed there as a paranoid schizophrenic. He also, um had a very high IQ, surprisingly, Mm. that they tested when he was there. Um, But, yeah. So, um, and so that's 1964. It's now 1969. Ed Ed was released back into society and ended up residing with his mother once again. Like, which makes no sense to me. Yeah. I would not (laughs) be like, no, you're not little me. You just killed your grandparents. Literally. He actually attended community college for a short time and eventually got a job with the Department of Transportation in 1971. And actually, Kemper applied to become a straight a state trooper, but due to his size, he was 300 pounds, mm-hmm. six foot nine, big man. He was rejected. Um, but during this time of him trying to apply, he made plenty of friends in the field who gave him a training school badge, handcuffs. And apparently would give him guns sometimes. What? What? Men are so dumb. Why would they give him that stuff? Like, if he was... The same year, he started working for the Department of Transportation. So, in 1971, he actually got badly injured in a motorcycle accident. Um, He was hit by a car. And from then on, he wasn't able to work. And from what I read, he then started putting his mind to other pursuits, college girls. So at first, Kemp only would pick up hitchhikers and let them go. Mm. Weird. Weird. Until he offered a ride or two, um, until he offered a ride to two Fresno State students um, by the names of Mary Ann Peach and Anita Luchessa. I could totally have butchered those names. Um, it was later found that Anita's, um, oh, sorry, Anita's body was never found, but Mary Ann was found in the woods near Santa Cruz. Ed confessed to bringing them back to his apartment at a later time, cutting off their he- their hands and their heads, and he would have sexual activity with their corpses. This man just, <laughs> just literally confesses. Like, he just straight up is like, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is after he had confessed to all the murders. Oh, this was after. Okay, right, okay, right. Okay. So he didn't like commit these murders and then killed 
other people. He did a bunch and he then did, eventually got... He ended up killing a total of eight people. Okay. And then after that, he confessed to everything. Um, but yes, he was a necrophilia. Um, he would cut off their heads and leave put him, put them in his freezer. Mm. Yeah. It's like Jeffrey Dahmer. Didn't he do that? Yeah. Mm. One time Jeffrey Dahmer took a head with him to work in his like briefcase. One of the heads with him. Shut up. I'm not joking. Watch Jeffrey Dahmer. Wait, where? I watched it on Amazon Prime. I watched the one where he was a kid. This is when he was an adult. There's just one, I think. There's it's like a movie that acts it out, like the Ted Bundy, yeah. Shockingly Evil. It's the one with like Ross Lynch. Oh, I didn't know they killed anyone in that. No, but like maybe I read it somewhere. I don't. I don't know. But he literally took one of the heads with him to work one day. Ew. Mm-hmm. Would it not smell? Though. You know. I think it was like a skull, like a skull of the head. <sighs> So, after Mary Ann and Anita's murders, Ed went on to kill, um, I'm going to butcher the name, a cuckoo in September 14th of 1972, and then January 1973, Cindy Shaw, and in February 5th, 1973, he committed a double murder um, of Rosalind Thorpe and Alice Liu. Mm-mm. I didn't want to go into too much detail about how right. he killed them and stuff, but... It was very gruesome, and he would use, like, his mom, like, somehow had a badge for him to get into the school and stuff, so that was how he committed the double murder in 1973, but things really took a turn when his last murders were committed in April of 1973 when Ed returned to his mother's house and violently murdered her in her sleep. For example, he threw her larynx after cutting it out and put it down the garbage disposal. What's the larynx? Your, it's a part of your throat. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then, for some reason that I'm not entirely sure of, he then, like, called his mom's friend, Sally Hallett, and ended up strangling her in her body in a closet. I'm not really sure why he did that, but because by that point, he had already murdered his mom and hid her body so it's really weird to me he invited her over but yeah he really violently murdered his mother um so after um killing his mom on april 23rd 1973 and made a call after fleeing from his mom's house to confess to the murders to many people ed's confession came as a shock because no one expected big ed to be a killer Like, he had to, when he called, they didn't believe him. He had to go into detail about how he killed them, where he hid their bodies, for them to believe that he, there's no other way he would have known. Why, though? Like, he was just a nice guy, apparently? Well, he had become friends with all those policemen Mm. trying to become a state trooper. Mm. And he was a very, like, shy guy, like, not really expressive. and yeah. So, um, in early November of that same year, so in 1973, Ed was convicted of eight counts of murder and to this day is serving eight concurrent life sentences. So, he's still alive. Oh. He's younger than my grandma. Wow. Yeah. Um, I find Ed Kemper to be very interesting 
only because he was one of the first serial killers who the FBI founded their research on regarding profiling murderers. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, he was interviewed by multiple psychologists, journalists, and members of law enforcement to speak about his vicious murders. And for example, in a Cosmo interview after he had killed his mom, he was asked what he thought of when he saw a pretty girl after murdering his mom. His response was, One part of me wants to take her on a date. The other part of me wants to see her head on a stick. And if you've ever seen Mindhunter on Netflix, Ed is actually portrayed very accurately yes. in this show. He's the big, tall dude yeah, with his, mustache. His episode, I watched, I actually got to that episode because I started watching Mindhunter. And I remember that. Like, they sat down with him and was asking him, like, his, like, what he would do to these girls. Yeah, and, like, he was he very open it. about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He was all like, all right, you want to talk? Like, we'll talk. And then yeah. he just, like, basically told him everything. Like. Yeah. And he was a big dude. Like, the guy that played him looked almost identical to him. Like, creepy. No, he really did. It's, like, the resemblance is uncanny. Oh, God. But, yeah. That is Mr. Ed Kemper for you. It's disgusting. It's super disgusting. (laughs) How do people, like, have the... I don't know. Like, I guess, obviously, you're, like, psychologically not all the way there. But, like... Well, I read somewhere that killers are never born a killer. They're made to be a killer. Like, I... By, like, a certain life experience or something? Right. So, like, for example, Kemper, like, grew up hating his mom, so therefore he hated women, and... Right. But Ted Bundy grew up in a great child like he from what it's been told he had a normal childhood and god i'm trying to remember the documentary about him i watch it's really good it was the um the one zach Efron was in yeah the evening or the e- he shockingly was just evil. effed up effed up to like the i remember them talking about how he like had a good childhood and he was smart and he did all this stuff he literally was just like psycho yeah he was a sociopath. Yeah. I guess that's true. I guess, I don't know. I don't do know. Do you believe you're born a killer or do you believe? I feel like killers are made. I don't feel like they're born. I feel like if they are born a killer, it's super duper rare. Yeah, I believe everyone's born, I mean, innocent. You're a child. Like, you don't know much when you're younger and you don't really know evil. And then you grow up and you start. Right. Like, obviously you're born with... Some, like, some people can be born with psychological problems. Or, oh, like, yeah, for sure. I don't know, man. Mm. It's crazy. Well, guys, um... Don't let strangers pick you up on the side of the road. Yeah, I hope we've all learned by now, um, about from listening to these many, many serial killers. But, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed. Happy spooky season. Ah, I can't believe October's already over. I know. I hope you guys have a good Halloween. I do, too, Halloween-y. man. Um, yeah. <laughs> Disclaimer, too. We are not a true crime podcast, so sorry. It wasn't if, like, not listening to, like, Crime Junkie when it's, like, dun-dun-dun. <laughs> like, they do all the good stuff. Like, Bro, they do the absolute most. They are amazing. She's most, amazing Most true crime podcasts, like, they all do the most. Like, they do, like, some intense, like, research. They pull up, like, the... Oh, yeah. Um, all that stuff, I'm like, you go. Like, this took me forever. This, uh, finding all the accurate information and stuff and, like, writing it and stuff. I'm like, dang, they do all this stuff and they do it every week. 
Yeah, like a new murder or something. So props to you uh, true crime podcasters out there. But it was fun. Um, it was fun. Imitating y'all for this yeah, episode. I loved, I love true crime. So, um, yeah. Happy Halloween. Sorry. Happy Halloween. Happy spooky season. Fall is not over. What did you say? Fall is not over. Oh, no. We got November and then December's. Christmas. Oh, I cannot wait for Christmas. That's it for our epi. (laughs) I hope that you guys enjoyed and that you guys got a little spooked. And um, Allie, (laughs) take it from here. Don't forget, you guys, we post a new episode every single Monday. You can find all of our links below in the description. And follow me and Hannah on Instagram. Follow our podcast Instagram at Who Is She the Podcast. And we will see you guys next week. Happy Halloween. Yes. Uh, boo. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye.